If you got your Bibles, open to John chapter 10 and 1 Kings chapter 16. John chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 16. Our study today starts with this question. Um, have you ever had to make a really important decision before? Have you ever had to make a really important decision? Some of you are like, yes, every day, multiple times a day. Uh, that's the nature of this city. We're starting, by the way, a new study, uh, and uh, we've finished our study in the book of Acts, and uh, for the next four or five months, we're going to be looking at the lives of Ahab and Elijah uh, in, this, uh, in this passage of 1 Kings, starting in chapter 16, and it goes all the way into 2 Kings. Uh, it's going to be a long study, but hopefully a really good study. Uh, Ahab is uh, considered to be the most wicked king in the history of Israel up until this point. And then Elijah is the great miracle worker of the Old Testament. The Lord has the two of them rise up at exactly the same time, and we're going to walk through kind of their lives. So it starts off with, again, have you ever had to make a really important decision before? I don't know about you, uh, but if the decision is important enough, I pray about it, I listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, but I also many times will reach out to a godly person to find out what their perspective is uh, on uh, the situation, on what they think, maybe not even necessarily what they think I should do, but just what they think, what their take is on the situation. When it comes to us taking an insight, Jesus gives us a parable here in John chapter 10, and this has to do not just with, with truth when we're making a big decision, uh, but it also has to do with, 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 uh, with just the way that the, the world is, is fighting uh, for influence in our life. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth. Underline and highlight, I tell you the truth. The literal translation there is in Greek, amen, amen, lego umin. That means truly, truly, I say to you. Notice that word amen? That's what we say at the end of, of the prayers that we pray. Typically, that's us saying, I agree, or truly, or it's, that what you've said is correct. Jesus starts off in the Gospel of John, 20 different circumstances, just over 20 different circumstances, with this amen, amen, lego umin. Truly, I say to you, or I tell you the truth. Each time, it's a tack hammer hitting the bell to let us know, ding, this is a really important thing that Jesus is about to say. Look at what he says. I tell you the truth. Truly, I say to you, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Underline, climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the watchman, underline the watchman, opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Stop right there for just a minute. When you've got a big decision to make, or you're in a situation like all of us are in right now, where there are these different forces competing for your worldview. They want to control how you view the world, how you see everything around you. They want to, again, the way you interact with other people, there's this competition. And what we have is the sheep pen is the kingdom of God. And what we have here are two different individuals. The first, it says, climbs into the sheep pen by, uh, by means that are unnatural. Climbs in by some other way. And Jesus says, that person is a thief and a robber. When it comes to seeking guidance, whether the person has more to gain with the information they're giving you for themselves than they do for you or for the kingdom of God is of great importance. Jesus then comes back and says, but the one who enters by the gate, it says the watchman opens the gate for him. The watchman is the Holy Spirit, and again could be tied also to the truths of Scripture. Opens the gate for him, the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The thief and the robber is about their own agenda. But the man of God, the good shepherd, knows us by name 
and is leading us for his kingdom. If you're taking notes, write this down. There is a battle raging for your heart and mind with eternal implications. There's a battle raging for your heart and mind with eternal implications. The story of Elijah and Ahab that we're going to be going through, the setup for the start of this, is that the nation of Israel is divided, both literally and physically, literally and spiritually. They're divided um, where there's a nation of Israel and there's also a nation of Judah uh, that's in place. Judah was the largest tribe in Israel. The nation is divided. And then Israel, already divided, is going to be even more divided because this leader Ahab stands up and is leading them in a wicked way. I want to point something out to you before we start on this. Ahab is not the villain in the story. Sin is always the villain, but Ahab is a bit of the embodiment of the wickedness that's taking place in this passage. We're going to introduce you to this champion of hell, basically, uh, that's been raised up to lead the people in a wicked and awful direction. But God is also going to raise up his champion, a man filled with faith and humility that will also contend for God's people to move in the right direction at the same time. You ever feel like there's just this conflict within your soul that takes place because there are things you want to do, there's ways you want to go, there are things that you want to, uh, to jump in the middle of, but you just have this tug in your spirit that maybe it's not the right thing to do? I had that happen for me not long ago. I, or, I guess this one would actually be quite long ago. Uh, it happened when I was working at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? I'd only been there at this point for a couple of months, and uh, we had something that would later be called the soup and salad scam of 1999, all right? Back in those days, I just started working at Red Lobster. I'm barely 18 years old, barely. And uh, when I start working at Red Lobster, I loved it. I love food. And um, we uh, used to get paid back in the day $2.13 an hour. And uh, that was back when minimum wage, I think, was five seventy-five. Okay, and so we'd get paid two dollars and thirteen cents an hour to wait tables. Uh, you'd make more than that in tips usually, but lunches, Monday lunches, were usually one of the worst. Some of you've worked in, in uh, as wait staff, you understand uh, those lunch shifts were rough. And in Stillwater, Oklahoma. The evening shifts made, I mean, three or four times the money uh, that you would make in the lunch shifts during the day. And so I'm working a lunch shift, and uh, uh, after work one day, I noticed there was one guy who kept signing up for a whole bunch of lunch shifts. And uh, uh, he came up and he goes, no, lunch shifts are the best. He said, because of our soup and salad, our soup and salad idea. And I'm like, your soup and salad idea? What's that? And then all of a sudden he goes, man, he goes, aren't you upset with only making $2.13 an hour? And I was like, yeah. I said, but we get tips. And he goes, ah, oh, it rarely pays off the way that you want it to. Because during lunch, soup and salad, which is what most people got when they came in at lunch hour, it was $4.99 per person. And what it was was a salad dish with the lettuce, with, uh, with the cheese, with croutons, with, uh, with uh, uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, and then you put a little bit of red onions across the top, whatever dressing they wanted on it. And then uh, you also brought out all-you-could-eat soup, unlimited soup. I mean, who wants to eat like six bowls of soup. You know, usually it's just one bowl of soup, but it was either clam chowder, seafood gumbo, or the soup of the day, all right? Which at one time was wild mushroom. At another point, it was potato soup. I'm telling you, I love food. I can still remember the menu even now, 20 plus years later, all right? So all that to say, I'll never forget, it was $10 and like 82 cents for what it cost for the check. 
And what they would do is, on a lunch shift, you would have multiple groups that would come in, order just the soup and the salad, water with lemon, always with lemon for some reason, water with lemon, and then it would cost $10.82. So, because of that, the scam is the first person that ordered that, if they paid with cash, they would take the check and ring up the same check, reprint it five, six, seven times, and then when they would go out to the tables, instead of getting a dollar fifty tip, they would set the ticket down on the table and then ask the person to pay with cash because the credit card machine was broken, and then they would, instead of pocketing a dollar fifty in tip, they would pocket ten eighty two plus a dollar fifty. So it would end up being about twelve or thirteen dollars that they would pocket at the end of it. So I've got this guy, and he's telling me about this thing, and here's how he pitches it. He said, aren't you tired of just making $2.13 an hour? Now, it was a lie, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make more money. He goes, I think that you should jump in on this scam with us. He said, if you do this, you'll make more money. You won't dread coming in for these shifts. And he goes, and honestly, management really should treat us better than they're treating us right now. And I mean, there were some other workers around going, yeah, man, that's it. That's correct. That's right. And I walked away that day and I went home and I started thinking to myself, you know, maybe I should consider this. Maybe I should do this. And then praise God, I called my dad and said, dad, what do you think about this? He's the godly other. He's the good shepherd. I called my dad and I said, here's what they're doing. What do you think about this? And he goes, uh, son, I think they're stealing. That's what I think. He said, and they're going to get in real trouble. He said, best case scenario, they're going to get fired. He said, worst case scenario, they're going to have somebody press charges on them. And I go, oh, I don't think someone would press charges on them. And dad, it's not just one. It's several people that are doing this. Maybe you're just a little old to understand. My dad comes back and goes, son, mark my words. He said, sooner rather than later, they're going to lose their jobs. Well, guess what happened? Praise God, I didn't get involved in it. I stayed away. But in the end, that whole crew got fired and some of them had legal charges pressed against them because they had been stealing 12 bucks a pop from those tables that were coming through. Jesus says, the thief climbs in by some other way, and it just looks weird. They're in the sheep pen, but the way they got there, it's very important. He says, for the good shepherd, the watchman opens the gate Scripture and the voice of Holy Spirit conviction to your gut lets you know that this is the path that you're supposed to walk down. And when that happens, it says the good shepherd knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows exactly what you need before you ever ask him. In the passage that we're going to be going through, Ahab symbolizes the one who climbs in over the gate. And Elijah is the one that the Lord lets in through the watchman. If you're taking notes now, write this down. We gotta introduce you to Ahab today. And so our big million dollar question is, what does hell seek in a champion? What does hell seek in a champion? We're gonna get to see it today. But I want you to remember, as we go through this, this is not a bash fest on Ahab. We're gonna look at the sin that's present in his life, and sin is the enemy. It's embodied in Ahab, but sin is the enemy here. Christ has died for our sin, if we're believers, in him. And if you're one who is on the fence today that would like to become a believer in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven and you can be set free. Let's walk through, starting in verse 29, and we'll introduce you to Ahab have today. Here's what it says. 
It says, now in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king in Israel. Stop right there for just a minute. The reason that it says Asa's king in Judah is remember, Israel has split into Israel and Judah. Judah would be like the biggest state in the United States uh, that uh, divided off and became its own nation. And then Ahab, it says, is the son of Omri. That also is important because Ahab's family comes to power in Israel because of a hostile takeover that takes place with the previous king. He was only king for seven days uh, before Ahab's uh, uh, father ends up overthrowing him. Look at what happens here. Again, he becomes king in Israel, and the story that we're going to go through is 22 years long, basically, uh, in the life of Ahab. It says, verse 33, Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Underline, more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any who came before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, underline trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, underline Jezebel, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. Underline began to serve Baal and worship him. That word began is very important there as well. What we find out about Ahab in this passage, number one, is he entertained wickedness. His entire being is about surrounding himself with wickedness. If you're taking notes, write that down. He entertained wickedness. It starts off by saying that he thought it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam. The sins of Jeroboam were pretty simple. Whenever you uh, read in the book of Exodus about creating the golden calves, the sins of Jeroboam where they made the decision that uh, in order for people to be able to worship, they used to have to go down to Jerusalem, all the people of Israel, uh, to worship Yahweh. And instead, uh, Jeroboam back in the day goes, you know what we should do in order for it to be more convenient? Let's just build a golden calf. It's probably the same as Yahweh anyway. Let's just build a golden calf in a couple of cities that are not as far away as Jerusalem. And then out of convenience, they can go and they can worship this golden calf. Again, it spit in the face of almighty God, Yahweh, who had led them out of slavery, who had led them out of bondage. And then all of a sudden it says he married Jezebel. A better translation of her name would be Jezebel. The idea here is that she is not just a Baal worshiper, but she is truly defined by that relationship with this false god. Baal was a god of human sacrifice. And by the way, sometimes we can picture ancients believing in some of these gods and thinking that they actually exist. In a lot of cases, the gold or the graven image was symbolic of your desire or your ambition to take control in fertility or to take control uh, in, uh, in you being blessed uh, with a good harvest or you being blessed with a larger family. But what they would do is they would offer human sacrifice. They would kill their children in pursuit of this wicked, awful gain. Baal, anytime you see Baal in scripture, Baal is symbolic of self-love being more important than God's love. He marries a woman that is characterized by her love of self and her love of power from a family that was characterized by love of self and love of power. And then it says there at the end of the passage that he began to serve Baal and to worship him. Even though he knows the truths of Yahweh, even though he knows his Jewish heritage, he begins to serve and worship a foreign god. What does hell seek in a champion? Hell seeks someone who entertains wickedness, 
Somebody who knows the truth but chooses to discard it and saturate their lives with wickedness. If you're taking notes, you'll take anything else away from today. Write this down. Are you ready? Darkness tightens its grip by saturating our senses with sin until we become numb to conviction. Let me say that again. Darkness tightens its grip by saturating our senses with sin until we become numb to conviction. I like to call it the hover principle. I've taught this to many of you over the years. The hover principle is this, that if this podium symbolizes wickedness, the hover principle is we don't necessarily want to partake in it, but the way evil gets on the board in our lives is we just hang around it. We just tolerate it. We just entertain it. We're around it. We're not taking part in it. We're just near it. And then here's what happens. The problem with evil is you don't have to do evil in order to be associated with it. If you hang around it enough, eventually people associate you with it. And then when that happens, you just decide, you know what? I might as well try it for myself. And we end up diving straight into it. That's what happens here with Ahab. He surrounds himself with evil. His life is saturated with it. And then before you know it, he jumps headlong long into it. Now, just for the record, if that's you, then our God is calling, sinner, come home. The Lord can draw you out to the power of Jesus Christ. He can draw you away from that period of wickedness, and he can set you free once again. But you've got to make the decision to stop entertaining what is evil. Real world example. You ready for this? So back in the day, um, I joined a new staff, and when I joined that staff, I wanted my new coworkers to like me. You ever been in that situation before? Um, it's a whole lot easier. I was there to do the job, but it would have been nice to have some friends on staff. And so one day, we're in staff meeting, and I get invited to lunch. And I'm so excited because it's like the cool kids invite me to go to lunch with them. I'm so grateful, by the way, to have this job that I'm in uh, at that point. And so I'd love the job. I was so excited to be there. And then we sit down to lunch. And then all of a sudden, they start ripping the boss to shreds, just saying awful, awful things. And it's not the whole staff, but it's a good portion of the staff saying terrible things about the boss and terrible things about our organization. And I remember I'm sitting there and like, I'm just listening. I'm just taking it in. And I'm like, really? Is that what happened? Really? And I mean, I'm hearing them and I'm like, it sounds like they're staging a coup to like take over the organization, to take over, uh, to take over the group. And I'm sitting there just listening to it. You ever been at that lunch before? I mean, I'm just sitting there going, this is awful. And so I leave and I'm like, what do I do? I pray about it. I feel this, this heaviness in my spirit. Plus I got to go back to work after that, you know? And so I'm there just praying. And so I called my dad again, good shepherd. I called and I said, dad, here's what happened today. I just feel weird. What does this mean? And he goes, I'll tell you what it means. He goes, you don't ever need to go to lunch with them ever again. And I was like, but they're my friends, but they're my friends. They're my coworkers. We should be able to be friends. And he goes, son, they ain't your friends. You just met them. He said, they're not your friends. He goes, you know what they want? He said, they want control. He said, are you glad to have this job? And I said, yeah, absolutely. God provided it. He goes, and here's what you need to do. He said, you need to schedule meetings immediately following staff meeting so that you don't have any time for them. If they ask you to lunch, you can say with certainty, sorry, I've got another meeting I've got to head to today. Got to get back to work, nose to the grindstone. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, honestly, he said, you wait for them to get found out and you let it be known that you were not a part of them. Can I tell you what happened? It didn't take years. 
It barely took months. And in the end, they staged a coup. It did not work. And in the end, I not only still had a job, but I got promoted because a whole bunch of people got let go. Now listen to me. I'm teaching you power if you listen to it. The thief climbs in over the gate. And the thief comes in and says, just entertain the wickedness. Don't you want to be a good teammate? Just entertain the wickedness. Don't you want to be cool? You ever heard that before? What a stupid thing to chase after being cool for crying out loud. I know a lot of cool people in a lot of bad places. You want to be cool? Don't you want us to like you? Don't you want to be part of the team? No, you came to serve Almighty God, not entertain wickedness. When you hang out with evil... Don't be surprised when you eventually get associated with evil and then you eventually jump headlong into it. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and now look at John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Here's what Jesus also has to say. John chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. If you're the one who would say, well, Zach, did I ruin my life because I have been going to those lunch meetings? Have I ruined my life because, again, I have been hovering around evil? No, you can be set free today. Look at John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. From the mouth of the Son of God himself, he says... I tell you the truth. There it is again. Amen, amen, let go who mean. Again, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, every slave, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Stop right there for just a minute. In Jesus Christ, we can be set free from sin. Every one of us has to have a moment in our remembered past when we look at Jesus and say, man, the weight of my sin, the things that I I've done wrong the way that I've missed the mark it's got to be atoned for and Jesus Christ is the one thing that can atone for our sin past present and future you must have a moment in your past when you claimed Christ as your Lord and Savior in order to be saved and forgiven but for some of you who've already believed in Jesus today is the reminder if you have gotten entangled in sin your salvation isn't on the line Christ died for your sin but you can also get free the same way. Leave the sin behind. Stop entertaining it. Stop saturating your senses with it, and you will be free. Can I tell you how I typically saturate my senses? It's with the music I listen to. It's with the people I hang out with. It's with the Netflix series that I binge. It's with the way I spend my money. It's with the stuff that I affirm. You saturate your life, and when it's done with wickedness, it finds a way to seep into your spirit, and that ends up an absolute mess. Man, I found the coolest little Netflix series, okay? Some of y'all can watch this. It's supposed to end on December 1st. I know that because it like pops up. This series will end December 1st, you know, in the little corner. Have y'all watched The Repair Shop before? Anybody watch The Repair Shop? Have you seen Repair Shop? Oh my gosh, it's the coolest, okay? So it's a, it's a British television show, but it's this repair shop where they come in and people bring items and they refurbish the items, but they're, it's expensive to get them refurbished, and so they bring them in. These are, these are items with great family significance, and you watch this show, and I'm telling you, I cry every episode multiple times an episode. They bring in this broken item, and they carry it in, and when they bring in this broken item, you watch it. The guy that owns the repair shop is like, okay, we'll fix it for you, and you can see it on their face. It's like, yeah, right, okay? It's too far gone. It's too destroyed, and the series goes 
goes through them cleaning up and fixing this item, and then they cover it with a cloth, and they present it to the person. And guess what the person does every time? They cry every time because they look at it and they go, really, you redeemed this? And I'm telling you, as a pastor, I'm watching every time and I'm like, that's us. I mean, my wife is next to me and I'm like, that's us, that's us. Our busted, beat up life seems like it'll never work again and all of a sudden they put it back together and Autumn's like, you are such a preacher. You are such a preacher. Now listen, that's what I watched this weekend. I'm not even going to tell you the trash that I watched in previous weekends. It's embarrassing. This weekend, I had more godly conversations with my kids than I did. Let me encourage you. What are you saturating your life with? Are you saturating your life with godliness? Or are you saturating it with the world's going to end? Are you saturating it with everything's falling apart? Are you saturating it with, again, death and destruction? Raw, 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 right? What are you saturating your life with? Don't be surprised. Jesus says what's in a man comes out of a man. Don't be surprised if you put garbage in, that garbage is going to come out. By the same token, when we put good in, then good also just naturally flows out of us. What are you saturating your life with? It begs the question, is it time to get clean? Is it time to get clean? Christ cleans our soul he can also clean up our act. There are some of you in this room and the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart. He's calling you to leave drug usage and drunkenness behind. He's calling you forward. Your soul is saved. You believe in Jesus, but you've become entangled in sin. It's time to let him set you free. There's some of you, and again, the Holy Spirit is calling you to leave theft behind. Thieves aren't the only ones. It's, no, you're not just a thief if you get caught. Thievery happens around us all the time. And for some of you, you've become deeply addicted to it. I want to encourage you. Let Christ set you free from that sin. For some of you, hatred has become a God that you serve. Just like a golden calf, it's something that you worship, that you spend your time on, that you saturate your mind with. It's time to leave it behind. Let's keep moving. Flip back over to 1 Kings chapter 16. And now let's read verses 32 and 33. Here's what it says next. It says, And Ahab also set up an altar. Underline set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the anger of God, uh, the, the God of Israel to anger than did all the kings in Israel before him. Stop right there for just a minute. That word altar is very important there because this is not just like a historical preservation of the temple of Baal. This is not just a deal where you went, you know, it was one of the gods of old. Let's leave the temple up because it's really nice architecture. No, he built an altar and sacrificed, sacrificed on that altar children. This was a place where they could go and sacrifice their children in pursuit of whatever weird, wicked gain they were after. He set up an active site for sin. Not only that, he builds the Asherah poles. In some ways, Baal and Asherah were actually competing gods. What it shows there is he has no respect for religion whatsoever. What it's really about is his power. What it's really about is his authority. If you're taking notes, what does hell seek in a champion? Number one, he entertained wickedness. And number two, he celebrated wickedness. He celebrated wickedness. He created open opportunities for people to exercise this wicked faith. 
The word that you could also tie in there is encouraged. He encouraged wickedness in others, not just in himself. For some of you, it's moved beyond entertaining wickedness. Let's be honest. It's something where you've actually come to define your life by clicking the like button on others when you know the decision they've made is leading them to complete destruction. Let me give you the most simple example I can give you of that. Our little three-year-old Zeke loves to jam things in the light socket, okay? Remember three-year-old, okay, jamming things in the light socket? They've created these light sockets now where they like clamp down so that you can't do that. Praise God for that, Emily. You know what I mean? Praise God that they blocked those off. Uh, but I'm telling you, I remember when we were kids, my brother Sam, who is probably watching this, my brother Sam took a paper clip and jabbed it in the light socket. This is back in the day, okay? This is back before any of the security clamps, okay? Jams a paper clip in the light socket, and I can remember it burned his fingers, and sparks and flames shot out of the deal. We had to go turn off the, the power to the house so that we could pull this thing out and not be hurt. Can I tell you what happens? It hurt my brother, it hurt the house, and it had the potential to hurt everyone in the vicinity. I mean, something really bad could have happened in that circumstance. What if my son's Zeke at three is walking over to the light socket and he's walking over like he has done before and he's walking over with a paper clip to jam it in the light sockets and what if I'm like oh you be you son you be you I don't want to stifle your creativity oh he's just such a nice young man full of wonderment you know no I love him and I am also my wife and I are the keepers of our house we're in charge of taking care of him. If I just sit there and go, you be you, son. Jam that thing in the light socket. You go right ahead. It's going to hurt you, but you just need to learn. Can I tell you what's going to happen? It's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt our house. And then CPS is going to hear the story, show up, and take him away. Don't miss this. When you entertain evil and then come to a point where you facilitate it, it hurts you. It hurts those around you that you care about the most, and eventually, listen to me, the Lord will withdraw his hand of blessing from your life. And in the end, you will lose so much more than that silly freedom you thought you were gaining. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? For believers in Jesus, affirmation and celebration must be justified by Scripture. Let me say that again. For believers in Jesus, Affirmation and celebration must be justified by Scripture. Are there things in your life that you are clicking the like button on, both figuratively and literally? Are you clicking the like button on things that are destroying other people's lives, that are taking away from their future and from their legacy? Are you clicking the like button on things that you honestly, when we stand before God, you will be deeply ashamed later? Our final question is this in this section. Are you getting generous with the like button? Are you getting generous with the like button? You realize all that's tracked, don't you? You all watch those crazy documentaries that are out now? I mean, that's all true. All that stuff is tracked and creates your online profile. If there was not a better picture of the way it works when you stand before God in heaven, I don't know what is. In the end, 
You will have to stand before God and defend what you've done. Just for the record, if there is ever a big heavenly courtroom that you come to at the end of time, at the end of your life, and the Lord looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven? Do you know what the answer is? The answer is to go and stand behind Jesus. That's what you do. There's nothing you could ever do on your own to earn your way into heaven, to atone for the sin that you've committed. But if we cling to Jesus, he is the one who can set us free. If you are one today that has not only entertained wickedness, but you have been one to celebrate it, you can always stop. Confess, ask for forgiveness from Almighty God, and then move forward doing the right thing. Move forward in freedom. One last verse, and we'll call it a day today. Look at 1 Kings chapter chapter 16, verse 34. We get kind of another weird thing that happens. So again, we've talked about the wickedness of Ahab, and now we're going to talk about the wickedness of one of the things he allows to happen. Verse 34, it says, In Ahab's time, Hile Hile of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Underline and highlight, rebuilt Jericho. Um, Even if you've only been to Sunday school a few times when you were a kid, what was the story of Jericho? That's the big important story. That's where Joshua and the Israelites march around the walls and then the walls fall down through the power of Almighty God and that's the moment that the Israelites take hold of the promised land. That's that same Jericho. What this guy Heil does is after we talk about, again, Ahab marrying into the family uh, that worships Baal, uh, after him becoming a Baal worshiper himself, building these Asherah poles, uh, being okay with uh, feeling like it's trivial that people worship golden calves instead of Almighty God, it says here that a guy shows up and goes, hey, seriously, we need to rebuild Jericho. Let's rebuild the stronghold that the Lord took down in order to provide us with the promised land. This is basically him saying, let's reestablish the old kingdom and throw away everything that God has given to us. In fact, this is interesting. Joshua had said, there is a curse that will be upon the family of anyone who tries to rebuild Jericho. So look at what happens. Ahab knows that. And Hale shows up of Bethel. It says he rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations, look at this, at the cost of his firstborn, Abram. And then it says, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word the Lord had spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. Notice it starts with laying the foundation and he loses his oldest son. The curse is so potent that it actually leads by saying at the end that the gates were laid at the expense of his youngest son. One commentator says what you're led to believe here is that it cost Heil his entire family to rebuild this city. And Ahab, knowing that the curse is on their family, he just allows it to happen. What is hell seeking a champion? Number one, he entertains wickedness. Number two, he celebrated wickedness. And number three, he established wickedness. He established wickedness. He didn't just entertain it. He didn't just celebrate it, encourage it. But he established a stronghold of wickedness, built a cursed city that spit in the face of the plan of Almighty God. If you're taking notes, one last quote, and I've got good news for you. Wickedness that's been established, even where the city and the gates are rebuilt, the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it can break any stronghold in your life. There might be some of you in here today 
that are listening to this. And as we've gone through it, you went, I've entertained it, I've celebrated it, and now my entire life seems to be defined by this sin that I've clung to. I've got good news for you today, and his name is Jesus Christ. He can tear down the foundation at the root, and just like the walls of Jericho, they will tumble down. You can be free today. But you've got to understand what freedom really is. Tony Evans said this. We've been doing this Oneness Embrace study. And Tony Evans said, spiritual freedom sometimes gets a bad definition. Here's what he says. Spiritual freedom is identifying what sin is and staying away from that thing. Let me say that again. Spiritual freedom is identifying what sin is and then staying away from that thing. Freedom isn't doing whatever you want. Freedom is doing whatever you want within the confines of your situation. Nobody gets to do just whatever the heck they want. There are laws. There are principles. True spiritual freedom is identifying what sin is and then staying away from that thing. And Scripture says if the Son has set you free, then you are really free. There's some of you that know what you need to stop doing. You've believed in Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. But you're still in bondage spiritually because you're continuing to do those things that Scripture has called sin or affirm those things that Scripture has called sin, and it's gutting the life out of blessing. You're missing the joy and the peace that are available to you in Jesus Christ. And it's time to let him break down that stronghold. If you take your notes, write this down. Last quote today. The name of Jesus can break every stronghold. Let him set you free. The name of Jesus can break every stronghold. Let him set you free. I love you guys. It begs the final question today. Is it time you found freedom in Jesus? Is it time you found freedom in Jesus? Some of you for the very first time, and then others of you, you're the prodigal and you need to come home. That sin, clinging to it, has enslaved you. It's time to get free. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me. Is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've been entertaining wickedness. I've been hovering around it. I've been saturating my mind, saturating my soul with things that honestly seek to destroy me and not things that help me. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, pray for me? It's time I stopped entertaining wickedness. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is very simple. Just pray this simple prayer. Pray, Lord, set me free. Lord, set me free. Confess your sin before him, and then just let him have it. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've gotten a little generous with the like button. Maybe literally, maybe figuratively. There's some things I've been affirming in others. And the truth is, I should be cautioning them. 
because they're making decisions that are completely against God's word. Doesn't mean you go at them in a weird way, but to do nothing, to celebrate something that you know will cause destruction, again, it's like me letting my three-year-old jam that paperclip in the light socket. It's dangerous, and eventually, as the leader, it could be taken away from me. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would not be so generous with the like button that I would operate in wisdom. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, just pray this simple prayer. God, give me wisdom to do what you would do. God, give me wisdom to do what you would do. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, pray for me. I need to be saved today. I need to believe in Jesus. We had two in the last service that made that decision with nobody looking around but just me. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would believe in Jesus for the very first time and be saved. Remember, we give him our sin and his precious blood atones for it. We give him our sin and he hands us back in exchange eternal life. With nobody looking but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, pray for me. I need to believe in Jesus for the very first time and be saved. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's the most important decision you'll make in all of eternity. If that's you, I'd like to ask my friend Jennifer Johnson to stand by those back two doors. Just stand right there at the back. If you raise your hand or if you wanted to, I want to encourage you when we stand in just a minute, sneak back there and tell Jennifer you need to be saved. She'd love to pray with you. Scripture says, confess me before men and I'll confess you before my father. It's Jesus' way of saying this is a decision you have to make in your heart and out loud. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you and we'll stand. Lord, thank you so much for today and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. Lord, for those who are here today who have entertained wickedness, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, set them free. Lord, for those who have celebrated wickedness, who have affirmed and celebrated things that honestly did not need to be affirmed or celebrated in the light of Scripture and your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray, set them free today. Help them to move in wisdom and to do the right thing. And Lord, for those who need to be saved today, set them free from that prison of sin in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would truly see them grow in discipleship, that we would see them grow in their knowledge of you. And Lord, that we might see them used powerfully for your kingdom. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. Thank you that you love us. And Lord, thank you that you've given us your word and your Holy Spirit to discern who's climbing in the gate that doesn't need to be there. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.